This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 84 of Equalizer podcast on a lull after the NWSL championship and first two games of the Vlatko Andonovsky era at the U.S. national team. My name is Dan Lawletta. John Halloran is with me. And John, slow week. Not much to talk about. Why don't, why don't you say we just go grab a beer and call it a day? <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, I guess let's start. Uh, with the waiver wire for the NWSL, which I, I think still has a chance to be the most significant, what they call the re-entry draft that we've seen. It kind of depends on, on who plays and who doesn't. Um, but uh, we got some news this week that Chloe Legarzo, who was picked up by Orlando, a couple days later, the league stepped in and said, oops, sorry, she shouldn't have been on the waiver wire. You don't have Chloe Legarzo on your team um, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a big deal in terms of like, I don't think Orlando did any other moves or had other things planned because of it. But um, kind of another example, as we, you know, as we're trying to get this league to a point of stability where communication, not the best. And, you know, how does a player who blatantly shouldn't have been on that reentry wire wind up on the reentry wire? And now I guess she's a free agent discovery player. And we're, you know, I would assume is not coming back to the league, but that's kind of a, you know, it's not a huge deal, but it is a huge deal at the same time. Well, it's it's certainly a question. How do the teams in the league not seem to know their own rules? Um, because, you know, when I saw Lagarzo's name on the waiver wire, it surprised me because she's a talented player and I couldn't understand why Washington, you know, would have would have listed her. When I contacted Washington, they told me that she had to be on the waiver wire because she was on loan. So then Orlando picks her and then can't take her because she wasn't supposed to be on that list in the first place. So you have the league apparently telling teams things that aren't true. The team's not knowing the rules well enough to know that those things aren't true. And now you've got this this total mess of a situation. And it makes perfect sense for her not to be like, I think they got it right in the end, because I don't know. I think if you go on loan you shouldn't be required to move to another team against your will. And I'm pretty sure that when the expansion draft stuff rolls around, players on loan have to be protected. And I think that's the case in Major League Soccer also, where loan players have to be protected. So I think they did get it right in the end. But yeah, the, there, it seems to be an issue where the rules are not necessarily known. And I'll let you talk about the Haley May situation because you've been kind of on this a little bit, but that's another one where nobody seems to quite know where Haley Mace and Julia Ashley stand after a season where they were drafted by sky blue and didn't report there. Right. So um, 
and we were talking a little bit about this earlier in the week, but we seemed to be getting conflicting answers about where their their rights were and when they those rights expired. We had, uh, between the two of us, I think, heard one answer was that the rights had expired at the end of the season. The other answer was that those rights would expire in the 2020 preseason. And so I contacted the league and the league said that the only way that those players would not have been listed on the waiver wire is if they had had a new contract offered to them. Uh, Sky Blue did confirm that they still have the rights at this point to Ashley and Mace. And then I got confirmation from the player's side that those rights are still being held, that there was a contract offered to those two players. Uh, but my understanding is, is that the effort is going to be to trade those rights to somebody else. So it appears that they were offered these contracts simply as a way of, uh, as a placeholder, if you will, to hold those rights in order to trade it and get some value out of that from another NWSL team, assuming those players come back into the league this spring. All right. So that's a good thing that you can offer the team. You can offer those players a contract and you keep their rights, but and that they might wind up trading those rights. But what does that mean if they don't trade the rights? Because that seems to me that the rule that came in, what was it, two years ago, I guess, where you where if you know, it used to be that you held on to that player's rights pretty much indefinitely. And then they changed the rule that after one year, that player became discovery eligible. And Casey Murphy is exhibit number one who wound up with the rain after being drafted by Sky Blue two years ago. But what's the point? Of I mean, to like so if they don't trade the rights, they don't want to go back. Does it just is this now? And are we back to a never-ending cycle, or do we think there's something where eventually, yeah, those rights do expire? Well, that's the thing is that it seems like a team could, in in theory, keep a player out of the league indefinitely. You know, if as as you're saying, if they just don't trade those rights, does that mean that that player cannot come back? Um, it, I think it's similar with discovery player. You know, you have these coaches who are able to put a player on, you know, on their discovery list. And so now that player doesn't have any options. If they want to come into the NWSL, they they can only go to one team or they have to get those rights traded somewhere else. That, that kind of seems um, counterproductive for the league being able to to bring in the best talent for teams to be able to find the best talent that they want to bring in. I, I didn't that rule change with this most recent uh, with all these new rule changes where you can actually after 30 days go into somebody else's discovery list and offer somebody a contract. I think right, I can pull we can pull it up if we have to. But I, I thought that might have changed. But it's a good point, though, because it happened. I mean, even with um, Caitlin Ford, when she didn't go back to Sky Blue, she was in limbo for what, two years, three years. And I remember asking the league like. At what point do the, do the rights expire? And the answer was they don't. So she didn't want to play for Sky Blue and they didn't want to move her on. And so she was stuck and not able to play here. And that's that's not good. Right. And then she wound up there. I guess they did finally find a, a trade fit for her and they've moved on. And, you know, now she's in she's in Portland. I think, I think the rain were involved in that trade, too. Um, but, I mean, and I also think I mean, it seems like Mason actually want to be in the league, doesn't it? Because they're not, you know, necessarily committed long-term to playing anywhere else. So I would think, and Mace is very much, you know, as much higher than Ashley, I think on most people's depth chart right now, but I think it sounds like they both want to be here in 2020. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, Ashley right now is is over in the W League and uh, her experience in Europe, I don't think exactly went to plan. So I think she's just trying to find something as, as a placeholder until she can get back in the league. Um, and, you know, the the situation with Mace, I think, is similar in that, um, you know, her season um, is over in Europe and she's back home now. And I think they're both just kind of waiting um, for next season and, and hopeful that they can find a place here. You also have to wonder, would they play for Sky Blue at this point? Things are very similar at Sky Blue, but also very uh, much different at Sky Blue. Uh, you know, the vibe has been different, but, you know, I spoke to someone there this week and they said news coming soon when I asked about a stadium and a coach. And then, so then I, re- I replied something to the effect of, well, how soon, you know, like tonight, this week. And then I got the response back. Well, no, not this week. And, you know, I was just looking at an old game that they played before the World Cup against Portland. And the attendance was 1472. Now, they don't have a venue for next season. They haven't put season tickets on sale. They haven't had a home game since, I think, September 29th, 28th, something like that. You're going on two months. You're losing the momentum that you had from the World Cup, you're disconnecting from your fans. They're going to go right back to 1,400 people at a game if they don't name a venue, if they don't name the head coach is less important, but it shows a sign that the team has a pulse. So I'm wondering also, you know, what's going on with that club? And, you know, is it possible that the players would want to actually play there? Because I think maybe toward the end of the season, they might have. Yeah, I wondered that too. Um but I, I've been reasonably well informed that they're they're not willing to play for Sky Blue right now. <laughs> yeah, that does not surprise me. All right, let's read the discover. This is the discovery list. Um, I'll just read this verbatim. You tell me if it makes sense. Teams may have up to three players on their discovery list at any given time, except for the period between the day after the NWSL championship and the day before the first match of the following NWSL regular season. That's just a long way of saying between the seasons, right? Uh, During that period, teams may have up to seven players on their discovery list. Players can be removed from a team's discovery list at any time. The discovery period is now perpetual, meaning there is no start or end date. Players will automatically be removed from a team's discovery list after they have been on the list for 365 days. Teams must wait 90 days before putting the player back on their list. And then the important part, I think, is after a 30-day period, which starts the day following a player's placement on a team's discovery list, If another team submits a discovery request for the same player, the team with the player on their discovery list must submit a player agreement form to the league within 14 days of being notified by the NWSL of a competing discovery request. Yeah, so it does sound like if another team comes in that they can force them into, it sounds like that's a contract offer, but the way that worded is a little bit confusing, I think. It's a player agreement player agreement form, which I think to me, that reads like a signed contract. Yeah, me too. So, but again, at least that's a way that, that teams can force another team to, you know, uh, make a decision. But it also doesn't say whether the new team has to actually sign that player. It almost sounds like every 30 days, a new team can come in and they can just keep bouncing a player around on the discovery list. And as far as I know, the players don't have to agree to this or even be informed of it. Yeah, I don't I don't think they do. Like you like Ada Hegerberg could be on somebody's discovery list 
And then if she decides she wants to come play in the league, then she either signs with that team or that team has to trade those rights. Or I guess since it's 30, you know, after 30 days, I, I, it's a process that I, I don't love the process. I'll be honest with you. I think that um, I think the players should be more involved in it. And, I, you know, and I understand that you don't want to just let the top teams go out and sign everybody. But I, I think they need to streamline this process a little bit. Yeah, it definitely takes the players ability to take their labor where they want to, uh, you know, out of the equation to a certain extent. And that doesn't seem in the best interest of them uh, or in the best interest of teams, you know, signing the players that they think are going to be able to help them the most. Yeah. And it almost seems like maybe they should use the uh, what do they call it? The DRO, the distribution ranking order, which is basically the reverse order of the standings and maybe use that in some way for for a way to get players added to a discovery list. Uh, but anyway, I think the point we've been making here is that not we don't know what the league rules are. And, be, and beyond that, uh, and maybe we'll talk about this in the next segment, we may or may not still have an expansion draft. So it's pretty difficult for teams uh, to be playing. So let's get out of this segment. We'll come back. We'll do a little bit of that. Uh, the Sam Kerr news became official and a couple of other uh, news and notes from around the world of women's soccer with John. I'm Dan. This is episode 84 of the Equalizer podcast. Hey everyone, Jeff Kasuf here with some exciting news about the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. The Equalizer will once again be there on podcast row, bringing you exclusive podcast interviews with some of the best minds in the game. Registration is now open for the convention, and you can make your plans to join us in Baltimore from January 15th to the 19th for networking, coaching education, and licensing. And of course, there's the annual NWSL draft, which you can come watch as a fan. We're at the convention every year, and honestly, it's the one week on the calendar annually where everyone who's anyone in U.S. soccer is truly in the same place at the same time. Register before December 11th for the best rates by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org and stop by Podcast Row to chat with your hosts from The Equalizer. That's unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org for more information. We'll see you in Baltimore. Episode 84, Segment 2 of the Equalizer podcast. John Halloran with myself, Dan Lawletta, with a reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. The better ratings and reviews that you give us, the more great content we can bring your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Some news and notes from around NWSL. The Sam Kerr signing with Chelsea became official during this week, so she will not be back in Chicago also, Dagny, Brian's daughter, will not be back in Portland. That'll be the second time in three years that Brian's daughter has left Portland. This one seems uh, a little bit more permanent. Uh, but, John, uh, we, maybe we'll get back to, to Sam Kerr in a bit, but we were talking before about there may or may not be an expansion draft, and uh, coaches were telling me at, toward the end of the season that they were preparing for an expansion draft, and I'm getting less firm answers on that now. But it also, by from every indication that we're getting from our sources, the Sacramento thing is very much right there on the precipice of being done. But what in the world are we waiting for? I, you know, maybe the uh, the announcement that the money they needed to make the MLS thing 100% official, um, you know, with the stadium and the training ground, that maybe that will kickstart some agreement. Uh, there was a bizarre uh, Leslie Osborne tweet about the California storm um, looking at you know, supporting the NWSL bid, but also a USL deal or maybe USL 
uh, wants to start a league to rival the NWSL. I mean, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, as you said, the coaches that we've spoken with are preparing, or at least were preparing, for an expansion draft um, and trying to make contingency plans, assuming that there would be a team entering the league in 2020. But it's obviously getting pretty late here in the process, being mid-November. Um, you'd be a better better resource on this than me, but when was the Utah deal announced? How late in the process was that? The Utah deal was sometime right around now. Um, but keep in mind that that deal, they inherited the contracts from FC Kansas City. So while it was late in the game, they didn't have to build the roster necessarily in the same kind right. of way. I mean, Houston was the ultimate one. That was in December because they yeah. just kind of decided, hey, we, maybe we want a team. Yeah. And, we, you know, the, not only an expansion draft, but the, the regular draft is, is only, uh, well, less than two months away at this point. So, And that's a big deal. If you've got, right, Orlando, in theory, has the number one pick. But if Sacramento is coming in and going to get the number one pick, that's a big deal. Yeah, well, they changed that with the Utah, right? They get they gave it to him like the year after they gave it to right. him in twenty twenty right. um, or, or sorry twenty nineteen. Right. So which, the, which they then yeah. used to get um, Kristen Press out of Chicago. Right. And I actually had heard, and you may have heard this too, but that when Houston entered the league, that there were actually contingencies placed on their on their draft pick. So they yeah. were given that pick, but they weren't allowed to take a, a certain player. Uh, I've heard the same, and I think they slotted it. See, the thing was, like, Washington was the, had the first pick, and the obvious number one pick that year was Crystal Dunn. Mm -hmm. So I think they didn't want to give Houston the number one pick because they didn't want to tell Washington in December, hey, by the way, you're not getting Crystal Dunn. But, yes, I have heard the same thing that Houston and at two – couldn't take certain players, which and it didn't make any sense because I thought Houston wanted Ohio all the way because she was the Houston girl. And remember, her brother-in-law helped get that team kind of going. Brian Cushing, who plays and I don't I don't know if he still plays or not for the Houston Texans, is married to Ohio's sister and was kind of instrumental in that. So I don't know why they didn't just put them in at that four or five slot. Yeah, anyway. I don't either, because she was she was an outstanding player, you know, coming out of college. So it was uh, certainly, you know, the pick at that point or would have been close to. Yeah, but, but the value of these picks absolutely changes every time you add in another team. So it's difficult to even try to figure out what kind of trade you're making. You know, I don't know enough about the college game, but, you know, if the if the if it's four deep where you have four quote-unquote game changers and you've got the fourth pick another an expansion team coming in bumping you to five that's a huge that's an entire it's a complete game changer right there yep absolutely um we've also got coaching vacancies we already mentioned sky blue also uh the rain and maybe this sacramento job so i don't know i haven't heard any names affiliated with any of them i think it's hard to really snuff out names because it really is a matter of just who's willing to drop everything they have and move to that city or a local, and I don't I don't know the local coaches well enough, but I, I don't have any inkling about who these coaches are going to be. Do you? Have, do you? Um, I know at least one person who's looking at those jobs too, but I, I also know that there is some hesitancy uh, among coaches because there's potential ownership changes, um, and 
you know, owners, as we kind of saw with Washington, often have an idea of who they want to bring in as a coach. And so I don't think anybody wants to take a job where they're, they might only have that job for a very short period of time. Yeah, and it used to be that coaches didn't want to take the jobs because the league might not exist. Yeah. But I think we're over that. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I think we're over that. But I think the college coaches don't want to leave college because they have more power at their colleges, they have more stability at their colleges, and good college jobs just don't open up very often. And the season's relatively short, and they have a, a pretty stable, you know, life off the field. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they probably would be taking pay cuts too. And I don't, I yeah. don't really know what college soccer coaches make, but I imagine they do okay for themselves, especially like you said, it's a, it's a pretty short season. Uh, so what else is going on in the uh, in the world? How about this USL stuff? US, there's someone told Sports Illustrated that USL is considering making a run at a league challenging NWSL. To me, that just sounds like uh, or industry suicide. I 100% agree. I think it's one of the stupider ideas that, that I've heard. I think if it happens, you're going to dilute the talent pool. Um, I think, you know, let, let's say you're a USL owner and you're in on this idea. Great. So you go out there and you dump a bunch of money in and you try to recruit some of the top players over. So you go back to a WUSA model where you're spending a ton of money. What happens two, three years from now when you realize you're not recouping that investment? you're going to fold. And now you've split the talent pool in half and you're probably looking at the death of both leagues at that point. And I just think it's just an incredibly dumb idea. And, um, you know, I kind of half wondered if this is some USL coaches that were angry that Louisville got an expansion franchise and that maybe they had wanted one of their own. Um, and it didn't and it didn't work out for them. So they just figured, well, we'll go off on our own and do this thing. But, uh, it, yeah, it, it doesn't seem realistic. And if it happens, I think it's going to be uh, a disastrous for both leagues. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's even the requisite number of good players available to even feel the second league and have quality soccer, let alone the business model and other factors that would have to be in play. I mean, I, you know, maybe it's some sort of leverage to try to get more teams in yeah. the NWSL because the expansion deal there is moving pretty slowly, but I don't see how anybody could actually think this is a good idea. Yeah. I think it could definitely be like a shot across the bow that they're trying to make the NWSL sweat a little bit and maybe be a little bit more proactive about listening to potential expansion, you know, teams coming in from the USL. Um, but the other thing that you just mentioned about, you know, enough quality players, the one thing I would say is that the NWSL itself is probably big enough now for maybe 12 or more teams in terms of, you know, we used to spend a lot of time looking at the draft because those players were going to come in and make an impact for teams. And we're getting to a point now where there are enough players in the league that are established and the league pay has gone off up enough that the early retirements have slowed down that draftees coming in are struggling to make rosters. And so we're at this point where there is, there are talented players who are not able to find a team or a place on a roster, or if they even are able to find a place on a roster, aren't finding any playing time. So of course they're not going to improve. 
And the only way that you do fix that is, is through expansion. Otherwise, you are going to see these players either just leave the game um, and never get that chance to develop, or you're going to see them go overseas. Yeah, I agree. I think we could go to 12, and it would be virtually seamless. It would be a yeah. little bit of an adjustment for new combinations and whatnot, and maybe your North Carolinas and your Chicagos wouldn't be quite as you know, they wouldn't have quite the continuity, but I think we could go to 12 easily. But if you're talking NWSL at 12 and then eight more from the USL coming in or a new league, then I think you've got yeah. a problem at this point. Also, keep in mind, you mentioned retirements are down. Um, but I think now players going into college have a better understanding that there's actually a league that when they get out of college, that league will be there. So I think you're also, even though the college draft picks are struggling to make rosters, I think you're getting better players coming out of college because they're actually dedicating more of their time to becoming pros because it's a lot more legitimate now. Even the chances overseas now are a lot more than they were even when this league began in 2013. Yeah, for sure. All right, a couple of other items uh, that I'll mention. Um, you mentioned that Kristen Hamilton scored in the uh, – W League, I kind of got the feeling get the feeling that Kristen Hamilton at this point is in that middle zone where she should absolutely dominate over there. I don't watch a lot of W League. Their games are at odd hours, but the league's not as good as our league here. I mean, she should she should crush that league. Don't you think? I I agree, and um, you know she's one of those players too. When we talk about players maybe not getting uh, an opportunity, like her development at this point could potentially be stifled a bit in North Carolina because I think she's proven that she's uh, starter quality. But when you have Williams and McDonald, her opportunities for starts are a little bit limited in that regard. I think it brings up an interesting point, um, kind of like the Leon point. Like, is it better to be – Do you de- will you develop more training with the courage and playing somewhere between 20 and 60 minutes a game, or do you develop better – training somewhere else and being an automatic starter like the Steph LeBay thing of I just want to come in and train in the best possible environment back when we thought she wasn't going to play right you know no it's good it's a good question now here's one I'll put we did not discuss this beforehand but I'll put you on the spot um the Rapino comments about the U.S. players not getting um not being able to to be part of the allocation money what are your thoughts? I, I didn't particularly like them. And um, I think that uh, for the most part, I have been a pretty big defender of Megan Rapinoe when she speaks out. I think she's incredibly eloquent. I think she speaks on on social inequality and, and financial economic issues uh, far better than most of us could. And uh, I think she's also far more nuanced than people give her credit for, because I think what ends up on social media or in the headlines is usually, you know, the most controversial uh, bit of what she said. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, but I think in this case, the comments didn't come off particularly well, because we're talking about allocation money that uh, ostensibly is going to be used not only to strengthen the league by bringing in internationals, but to try and get some of these mid-level border uh, U.S. national team players a little bit more money. You know, we're not talking about a big jump. When you have a minimum salary that is still 20000 when you have, you know, the vast majority of the players in the league still earning twenty or $30,000 a year, 
using that allocation money to bump them up to 40 or 50 or $60,000 a year still doesn't compare very well to a U.S. national team salary, which between national team duties and club uh, is somewhere around $170,000 a year. And that's what the listen, this is what the players wanted. And this is why the, the equal pay discussion is so difficult to have, because trying to compare the men's and the women's salaries is like trying to compare apples to fish. It just doesn't <laughs> equate. There's no you can't look at one system which is based purely off of uh, bonuses and incentives versus another system which has much smaller bonuses and incentives because it has a much higher guaranteed base salary. And um, I wrote about this earlier in the year, and uh, I just said that U.S. soccer should just get rid of the allocation system completely and just basically make a cash infusion of the same amount of money that they are already paying these players for their league play, push that money directly into the league as a, as a subsidy, and tell the teams that they can spend it however they want. And then those teams could not only pay the national team players more, but they could probably use some of the extra money in, in other ways. And um, it, it's just a, it's a difficult system because, again, the, this is what the players have negotiated. And they get benefits from that. But then opportunities like this come along that they can't take advantage of because they've already – put themselves into a situation where they've negotiated this other deal. So I think, and, and listen, I think the players would tell you this. I think their representatives would tell you this, that we're looking at a situation where probably two CBAs from now, there are no allocations that that money is just put into the same compensation system that, that men's are, but we're not there right now. And the league is trying to move forward. The league is trying to, to put together a system to bring in international talent or keep international talent to keep players that are borderline national team players. Um, and the very first thing, at least the way that that article you're, you're referencing was written that made it seem like the very first thing that the national team players thought about was I want some of that money too. I agree with everything you just said, but I also see where Megan Rapino is coming from because the league was built on the national team players. Yep. And the league has expanded on what the national team players have done at the World Cup. Yep. And now you have made new rules without consulting the national team players. And you've basically said, this is all you can make. And someone over there can come in and make more. I do agree with you, though. I think at some point, if you're going to build something, you can't only be thinking about yourself. Right. And I don't want to single out Megan Rapino, but the allocated players and there's a bunch that have been allocated for all seven seasons and are probably going on eight. You've got to say, you know what, I've done pretty well for myself here. Yeah, I can do this without complaining because in 50 years I want to be remembered as part of a league that still exists, not as a league that had infighting over money. And the thing is, you can say, well, why don't you just take the handcuffs off and say that? You know, a national team player can turn down their allocation and get, you know, and take their shot that they're going to get more money from the allocated money. But that defeats the entire purpose of adding that money, because then that is 
not allowing teams to bring in players from overseas. So it's, you know, it's complicated, but the national team players do fine. Yeah, and one of the other things we got to add to this discussion is that the U.S. soccer also, to a large extent, is not just doing this out of gratuity or the kindness of their heart. That that they have established this system because they want control of the players. They want to yes. be able to pull them out of the league a month early before the World right. Cup and into yep. training camps. They they want to be able to pull them out of league play outside of international breaks for friendlies. Um, and so this system benefits U.S. soccer just as much as it benefits the players. And at times, as we know, to the detriment of the league. And, you know, it's it's a bit ironic, too, because if you look at what the national team players did in the league this year, there weren't that many impressive performances, whether that was because they missed half the season or because they were tired or hurt because of their national team duties. But there weren't a lot of blowout performances by the U.S. players in the NWSL this season. The second 11 would suggest otherwise, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I agree. Right, 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 right. right. Rose I, I, Lavelle's yeah. mom agrees with me, but, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think more, more U.S. players than not were subpar after the world cup. All right. We'll continue this a little bit and we've got some good uh, questions for the Q and a. So we'll back, we'll be back with the third and final segment of the equalizer podcast. Third and final segment of the equalizer podcast. It's episode 84 and time for the equalizer soccer sports reference stat of the week brought to you by our friends, at Sports Reference, and as Sam Kerr goes out the door after seven very good seasons in the NWSL when she scored at least five goals in all seven seasons, um, 77 total plus one in the playoffs made 78, but she is not yet the all-time leading scorer in the history of all the pro leagues in the United States. That honor would go to Christine Sinclair, who has played all 10 seasons of NWSL and WPS, she scored 26 regular season goals in WPS with three uh, playoff goals, 49 in the NWSO with three playoff goals. So that's 81 total. So it's actually Kerr with a slight edge in the regular season, add in the playoffs, and it's Sinclair 81 and Kerr 78. So Sinclair can go back past Kerr for the regular season goals, but she's got a slight edge on Kerr. And uh, that is the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their ever-expanding catalog of women's soccer stats at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And, John, we'll get back to the uh, U.S. discussion in a moment. But I, my gut feeling tells me Sam Kerr has not played her last game in the NWSL. 100% agree. Um, All right. My... You know, my uh, my one question, I guess, or um, the one thing that I thought was curious about her picking Chelsea is that they're not in the Champions League. And I would think that that would be the place that she would be looking at making the biggest am- impact in Europe. Um, Do you so- think so, though? Because the champion, even the Champions League doesn't even get interesting till the quarterfinals. Well, so so my guess and again, this is just a guess because you're 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 mentioning that you know you think she might be back. I would guess that that Chelsea qualifies for the championship uh, Champions League this season. 
She plays in the Champions League next year, and then in 18 months uh, decides to come back. Oh, but that's faster have, than I thought, because she's only, she what, 26? So I just think there's a lot of time and that she liked it here a lot. Yeah, and, and that's that's where I come back to is I think she, my, again, this is just purely a guess, but my guess would be that she'll come to the conclusion that she enjoyed playing here more than, than she'll enjoy playing in England. Interesting. All right. Um, I think we've pretty much uh, covered the ground on the U.S. players with the allocation money. I, mean, I think we're kind of on the same page. I see, I more see Rapino's point than you do, I guess. But, um, you know, at some point, everyone has to stick together and figure. You know, I always go back to the television arrangement for the NFL when Pete Rozelle basically convinced a group of many hard-headed owners, if you agree that we are all one, we will all be better for it rather than having New York and Chicago get more TV money than everybody else. And look at the NFL today. Yeah. You know, the one thing I, I would, I was thinking about too, that I'd like to add to that is that when, when she talks about the U S players doing more for the league, like I think there, it, that it's definitely true that for years and years and years, going all the way back to the 99ers that they have been told that what they're doing is for the future instead of for the now. And I think there's definitely this sense that um, a lot of these players are tired of being told that they're supposed to be playing out of these altruistic reasons and that they want what's fair now. That's a good point. All right, let's get to some questions. Uh, Mish Fowler, is there, is there still serious talk of an expansion team for the 2020 season? We touched on that earlier. I would say, well, we should know this week, but that's optimistic when you're dealing with this league. Janine, Allie Long said in, or stated in a recent interview, her goal is to be in the starting 11 for the Olympics. Assuming all healthy, any scenario where that is true in this crowded midfield, all credit to Allie Long for having that as her goal. I don't think if everybody's healthy, there is a chance in the world of her starting uh, on the best team during the Olympics. I agree. It's just uh, too much talent. Yeah. But you know what? Good to say. It's great that she set the goals. Similar to uh, Alex Morgan wanting to come back and be on that Olympic team as well. Um, Sandria the Sturgeon, any information on Dawn leaving and who could be a replacement and will they continue the practices she instituted? That's a reference to Dawn Scott who has uh, left the United States. She was, uh, what, what would uh, her title have been? Do you know officially the title? Uh, I don't know. It might have been strengthening. Yeah. Yep. But basically responsible for the player's health and fitness. Um, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't continue the practice if she instituted. The U.S. has been the top-rated uh, team in fitness for, for many, many years. But that's a that could be a big blow. You know, that could be a big move for England, who has struggled, and their coach is under fire a little bit. Um, I have no idea who would replace her. I assume there's somebody down staff that would be promoted, but I have no idea. Um, I don't know if you have any more insight into that, but it, it could be a, it could be a game changer on the world stage, though. No doubt, no doubt about it. Yeah, you know, and that'll be something that we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, Terry Harris, I heard what is slowing down Sacramento from announcing an expansion team for next year or securing enough housing under new rules. Is this true? And if so, will it get done soon? No idea, but I can't imagine that would hold it up. Um, Haley, huge attendance records in France, Brazil, and England. Maybe a slow week in the U.S. 
but plenty on elsewhere. Uh, I guess that's not a question, but uh, we did ask for comments. I do think it's interesting that you're getting more and more big-time attendances for the women's game around the world. And I think it kind of feeds into my theory that if you treat the women's game the same, and I don't just mean that you give the players a league. I mean that everybody treats it the same, that we treat it the same, that you know, advertisers, announcers, every single person treats it the same, referees, everybody, that you get it to about a 52-48 split of the interest with the men's game. And I think we see more and more examples of that around the world. I think the the advantage that Europe, the real advantage that Europe has is that their culture is already built around this game in a way that American culture, even despite the changes in the last 30 years, is still not. And so I think it's going to be an easier transition. There's just this idea of Saturdays and Sundays being meant for soccer and going to the stadium and supporting your home club. And I think that will transition easier over to the women's game, Um, even though, to be fair, in the past, the attendance numbers in Europe are uh, abysmal. You know, as bad as sometimes as the NWSL numbers are, the European numbers in general have been terrible. Um, We're starting to see this surge. And uh, I think that's the real advantage Europe has is this idea that uh, that this is just kind of a natural part of their culture in a way that it's not here. Yeah, it's also easier to do one off marketing when you've already got your marketing budget for the men's team. and You've already got your marketing target for who you're already marketing to for the men's team. But it, it is nice to see it. Um, and I think it that sort of thing, um, I think it grows on itself because I think when you see, you know, if you flip by a game and it's in Portland, I think you're just more likely inherently to leave that game on because it sounds important. And if you have more women's games that look and sound important, you'll get more interest, you know, yeah. residually, in my opinion. Zandra White with USWNT looking for women assistant coaches. It would be neat to run an overview of previous national team players coaching progress. Uh, example, Chastain, would Mark Graff consider Nadine Unger or other internationals? I think we've already proven that um, internationals are fair game on the U.S. I mean, the head coach is usually has been an international more often than, than not. I think the misconception here, though, is about just hiring female assistants. I think the most important thing Kate Markgraf can do in this particular avenue is to go down the system and start bringing in more females, more internationals or minorities or whoever. I don't think you can just look at the senior national team and say, well, we've got to hire a woman. Um, So I I think Kate Markgraf wants to leave her mark on the game. It won't get as much attention, but I think she's got to go down, down all the way to the bottom of the system. Yeah, and they got to start doing what they did last winter, too, which is when they brought in those NWSL players for the, the licensing coach yes. uh, course. They've yes. got to just do – I mean, that's got to be every six months that they're holding those courses and just creating an army of, of players that, uh, you know, could potentially enter the coaching ranks. And the other interesting thing, which we talked about earlier in terms of, the you know, how hard it is to get college coaches, most former players that go to coach go do it at the college level. You don't yeah. see a lot of former players sliding into league staffs at this point. Yeah, so. I mean, we've seen a few, right? We saw Cone, we saw Scurry for a bit, um, LaPelbit out in, in Utah. Um, but you're right. I think it's it's a much more limited uh, pool. 
right. Nick K. Thoughts about USL creating a women's league? We got that earlier. Thank you for the question. Um, what else do we have here? Um, wage fixing is unethical. I wonder where this question is going. Um, how fast is the downfall of the NWSL happening with the aggressive growth in other countries while well, we're obsessing over parity and trying to stop investment? <laughs> I don't think that's really a fair question. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the end, I don't think we're at the downfall of the NWSL. I don't think we're trying to stop investment. I do think we need a little bit more uh, of a visionary look. I think these low, these most recent um, initiatives are are an example of that. But I, I I don't know. I don't I don't understand the question really. And you're being <laughs> silent. So I, don't, I don't think it's there's 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 no downfall of the NWSL happening right now. Um, and uh, I I mean, listen, the league did not, in my opinion, take advantage of the opportunity to bring in more investment this summer in any way, shape or form to the level that they should have. But I don't think that they're actively trying to stop investment. I just think they did a poor job of of maximizing that opportunity uh, this year. All right. Nash says, don't you think it's time to discuss Jaylene Hinkle seriously? She's an openly bigoted player with the full support of her coach and owner. Are any of you going to actually start writing about what is happening? Um, I mean, I don't know what there is to write about or what's happening. Um, if you think she's the only bigoted player in the league, um, that's crazy. I mean, you know, we covered it when when she went on the 700 club. I guess she just put up a blog post. But we, I mean, I don't know what to, what's there to say. She's uh, she's a player with views who most of us probably disagree with. But what else is there? Yeah, I don't know what to say either. And I, I, I honestly I don't know how Paul Riley kept that locker room together because uh, I'm, I'm positive that there are people in that locker room who strongly disagree uh, with her viewpoint and are probably personally offended by it. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Yeah, I think it's one of his great strengths as a coach, you know, even before this scenario came up. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those stories that I would love to be able to do a deep dive on after it's over. But I think because it's still ongoing, I'm talking about the courage itself in that particular scenario. I think because it's ongoing, there won't be any way to get in there. Yeah, I don't either. And, and, you know, it is I, th I think it's also fair game to question North Carolina allowing the 700 Club to film that segment that aired. I, I think that was over a year ago, but that aired, you know, they obviously filmed that in the stadium. Yeah, I think that's another I think that is a fair point. Um, I mean, you know, again, you you know, is it more um you know, you don't we don't maybe agree with Jaylene Hinkle's point of view, but do we would we how would we feel as media, you know, if we got held out of doing that interview because of our political beliefs? So I think it's a bit of a slippery slope there. Yeah. I mean, you could make an argument that they're not a sports um, organization, but anyway, Electa, I'd love to hear about other WOSO leagues that are still playing WSL, for instance, so many players that are new to me. For instance, uh, I don't know, are you reading this along with me here? Because there's a name I don't want to mispronounce. Do you have any idea what that I name is there? I did not. I did read that, and I didn't. Uh, All right. Well, we'll do the best I can. Uh, Baba Jide just caught the tail end of a uh, game and thought she was fierce. Who else is out there to watch? Um, I admit that I am not the best follower 
of the leagues overseas, but it's a fair point, and uh, we can try to maybe do a little bit better than that. And going forward, I don't know what your level of uh, follow is overseas. It's not much. Um, I I do like to try and watch the Champions League games when I can. Um, some some teams have put those on Facebook, um, and you've been able to watch that way. Uh, sometimes you can they'll, they'll be broadcast on the team's web pages. I do like watching the W League. I think it's a fun league. Uh, the only thing is you got to figure out your sleep cycle a little <laughs> bit because the games will kick off at 11 p.m. or 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Um, I think if you're on the West Coast, it's probably a little bit easier to watch the W League. Or um, maybe if you're on the East Coast and an early riser, uh, you can watch it. But uh, it, the, the kickoff times certainly make that a bit of a challenge. And the streams are fantastic. The quality of the streams is great. And I act, and this is not, no bearing on soccer whatsoever, I think they have great uh, uniform combinations Yeah. in that league. All right. Um, we're pretty much out of time. What, what, we're going to be back in a week. It'll be me and I forget who, but um, it won't be someone other than yourself. But what do you think will be... What are we going to what has to happen this week? Like, I feel like we're already um, perilously close to repeating last offseason where like literally nothing happened between now and the draft. Oh, man, I don't know. This felt like I don't know. I guess for an offseason week, this this was a lot to talk about. Um, but, but it wasn't. It wasn't like it was, but nothing like huge. Yeah, I, I think the problem is, is that, well, one. Until we know for sure about expansion, teams are going to hedge their bets because if you are a team that has more than two allocated players, you are probably going to try and see if you can get some value for those players uh, if you think you're going to lose one. But nobody's going to do that until they know whether there's an expansion draft or not. So that's number one. And then number two is that the a lot of those big moves, even just in a regular offseason, happen closer to the draft. And a lot of them happen the week of the draft. So it's almost like we live through these dead periods, and then the weeks happen where there's so much news that you cannot keep up with it. How about the venue issue in Sky Blue? Like, at what point does that become concerning? Also, the rain, for some reason, still have 2020 season tickets coming soon i can't imagine yeah, that's, that's not by good. accident you got it you have to be doing that again these were the two teams too that we talked about with coaching vacancies and these are the two teams that that's we talked true. about with potential ownership changes uh which may be complicating this process but you have to as you mentioned take advantage of momentum when you have it and um you know chicago i know for instance got much better over the past four or five years about realizing that they needed to have things ready for the next season before the current season even ended so that you're selling tickets to people while they're still coming to a game in 2019, you're selling them tickets for 2020. And, you know, with, with, uh, with New Jersey in particular, you, you have these games, these amazing games. Listen, I give them credit. I give Elise LaHue credit for the, the turnaround that that club made in the second half of the season. But, you know, Again, they have a venue change, which complicates things, too. But to have those things in place would have given them the opportunity to take advantage of those big attendance games that they had at Red Bull and start pushing things for 2020. 
Um, and, and again, there's some extenuating circumstances there, but whether them or whether the rain, you know, push into 2020, you have to try and strike when the iron's hot. And if you have this dead period coming up of three, four months where this stuff falls off people's radar, that's not going to help. All right, John, appreciate you being here. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Uh, never a dull moment, even when uh, it's a dull week in women's soccer. So we'll see what comes up this week. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast.